and it just boggles my mind. I want to file a class action lawsuit for these people. Hey, how are ya? Welcome back for another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop. I'm your host, Kyle Hill, as always. And fun fact for all you Jonathan Taylor Thomas fans, Hey, how are ya? is from his 1995 movie, Man of the House with Chevy Chase. Flashback to memory lane there. On today's episode, we're continuing our What the Hell Is series. On this episode, we're talking about what the hell is fee-only. But before we get started, do a solid and drop us a review. Five stars, by the way, is the appropriate number of stars. And while you're at it, ask some questions that you'd like answered. I want to do a Q&A episode where we answer your questions, but I need your questions to make that happen. So don't be shy. You can submit them to kyle at hilltopfp.com, and that'll be listed in the show notes. That's me pointing down. Now dim the lights and hit the strobes. We have some guests making their first appearance on the show, but certainly not their last. But before we dive right into that, I need to remind you that this is for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as advice because I'm not your advisor. However, I could be if I did my proper due diligence and evaluated your personal situation. The best way to get that process started is to schedule a call with me And you can do so by going to my website located in the show notes. Again, that's me pointing down to the show notes. Without further ado, I'm joined by certified financial planners Brent Hoskins of Focal Point Financial Group and Donovan Brooks of Storyline Financial. Hang on tight because here we go. All right. Welcome back and uh, welcome to some new faces. Today on the podcast, we have Brent Hoskins. Certified Financial Planner, RICP, AWMA, CRSPS, CKA, Certified Kingdom Advisor. That's a lot of Focal Point Financial Group located in Prairie Village, Kansas, the nicer side of the Kansas City metro area without being in the burbs, as I like to say. Brent, you're uh, you're rivaling Michael Kitsis on the designations and certifications there. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. Yeah, he's still, he's lapped me a couple times, but I can still try. <laughs> you're, you're going to have to explain some of those to us, but, oh, uh, man. so, um, but as far as the, uh, certified kingdom advisor, uh, we can have our next guest do that as well. So Donovan Brooks, certified financial planner and certified kingdom advisor, CKA of Storyline Financial in St. Joseph, Missouri, and host of the Building Stewards podcast. I was talking about you on our last episode, Donovan. Oh, hopefully all good things. (laughs) (laughs) Very good things. Um, How we first met, actually, when uh, we were studying for the CFP exam. Yes, yes. It's a a fond story, just realizing kind of how relationships kind of evolve and how we're connected. And I think that's actually how that that actually class is how I actually hooked up with Brent as well. There was a, a an acquaintance that was in that class as well that kind of forwarded my information on to Brent. So that was a, a fruitful class, I will say. Yeah, no, I I, I said in the uh, so our last episode was uh, what the hell is a certified financial planner, 
And I said uh, in that episode, if I wouldn't have taken that review course, I don't think I would have passed the exam. So um, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but um, I, I think it was funny. We were, we were actually talking at lunch um, during the review course, Donovan, and I was talking about XY to one of the one of the um, guys there that was studying with us, and like I knew all about it. And secretly, you're you're over here. I'm actually an XY member, you big dummy. So um, I'm sure you were thinking that. You didn't say it. You're too nice for that. But, no, uh, I don't think I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I was ever thinking that or, or heard that. I just remember a conversation. And at that point, I was like, this guy has pretty already pretty much made up his mind. He's going to make this happen. He's kind of followed all the same material. He's, you know, tuned into all the content. It's only a matter of time. So uh, that's, yeah. that's probably what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. So they got me. Um, so yeah, both, uh, both XY members, XYPN members, XY planning network, um, and, uh, also NAPFA members in addition to being certified financial planners. So, um, so yeah, uh, you guys want to talk about what the certified kingdom advisor, is that a certification? We had this conversation last, last, uh, episode with Tyler on a designation certification said no comment but CFP's a certification just for clarification. <laughs> That's a really good question, Kyle. I'm, I'm a little bit baffled because it is a certification, but is it also a designation? I don't know. I, ju I, I just remember it from the review course. CFP's a certification. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, that, my, my understanding is a designation is more of a um, kind of like um something you've studied for a number of years, like a, a university degree or something. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think a certification really comes back to licensing the right to use um, that, Yeah, you know, for what it is. So yeah, the, the CFP is, you know, we're licensing the CFP, the ability to use the CFP because we're complying to all their requirements and qualifications. So I think that's, I've always wondered that too, but now that we're talking about it, it makes a lot more sense that that would be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I know Kitsis had an article recently about when will the CFP become like a license, like the CPA. So, but that's for another time, you know, we could talk about this all day. Um, but tell me a little bit about uh, Certified Kingdom Advisors um, and what that you both are members. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll let, Brent talk about everything that I missed, but really it's um, this designation that really applies financial planning through a biblical uh, world perspective. So pretty much it's it's less technical than this, the CFP designation. Um, it's really guiding people through financial planning with um, Christian beliefs and uh, the goal being kingdom minded, really. And that's really kind of how I explain it to people when I have to tell them what it is. It kind of stacks on top of the CFP, uh, less again about technicalities of, um, the minutia of financial planning and more of kind of the mindset, um, heart issues, really things that are very specific to the Christian faith. So I don't know if you'd have anything else to add Brent on top of that. That's really good, Donovan. And I think I explain it in a similar way. It's, it's an overlay. It takes all the technical parts of financial planning and just overlays it with what what's God's word have to say about those areas of finance and how can we engage people into good stewardship 
Yeah. Um, making financial goals and decisions congruent with your faith and values. Is that maybe a good way to um, kind of explain it a little bit? Right, right. Which when you step back, I think us as financial planners in general are always trying to drill down to like what's most most valuable to the client. Uh, so this was just an organized and structured curriculum that took the basis of our faith as Christians as kind of inherent of, you know, the goal planning process and um, really folding in the different areas that we get to be as advisors that are Christians leading our clients through that process. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'll, I'll put a link to uh, it's kingdom advisors and I'll put a link in there. How many kingdom advisor certified kingdom advisors are there? I think last I heard, I want to say there were about 3,600. Okay. Kingdom advisors. Um, Donovan, does that sound yeah, that that sounds about right. I would I would have said somewhere between twenty five hundred and five thousand would would have okay. been my guess. Mm-hmm. Wow, so s- pretty small group because uh, it's nationwide. It is nationwide, uh, and yeah. it's comprised of, um, you know, it's comprised of financial planning professionals, investment management professionals, but there's also attorneys, accountants, and insurance professional. So it, it kind of wraps okay. in a lot of different areas and it, it allows space for multifaceted advisors as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Cause I know, uh, um, what Matt Syverson is sort of in, um, his folks over there. And then, uh, St- Stephen Cox, you guys know Stephen Cox? I do no? not. Okay. I, I used to work him. with his son at my previous firm. I think he's, um, kingdom advisor as well so awesome well i know that's kind of a curveball so you weren't expecting to talk about that today so but <laughs> i appreciate it always, always a pleasure yeah so i'll i'll put that in the show notes so um you guys all thought out it's been a crazy couple days it is the coldest that i've ever remembered it um i, I told someone the past decade for sure but now that i look at the temperatures that we endured and what we went through and the, the rolling blackouts and seeing uh, Southerners go through what they did. Uh, it's, it's the coldest that I've ever remembered it being. So, yeah, I, I don't remember to your point. I don't remember it ever being this cold. So for this long. Yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing, one good thing that I've been telling people and I, I don't like winter at all, but winter and these cold temperatures foster a greater appreciation for when it warms up in spring that is on the horizon and just things that we take for granted. So if anything, there's been a, a for me, and I, I would assume you guys too, we, there's been kind of this fostering of a deeper appreciation for those things that we've gone without and things that are to come. And uh, silver lining, hopefully this helps with uh, the bugs. My wife uh, gets attacked by mosquitoes. So, but uh, right now it's mice. We have a mouse in the basement. Um, the Monday morning after the Super Bowl, I woke up to my wife screaming bloody murder and I was like freaking out that it was something with the kids. So I rushed downstairs and she was curled up on the sofa. Um, she'd just seen a mouse and our attack dog, Charlie, Charlie Gibson, um, was curled up with her. I'm like, well, he was useful. So, uh, now she refuses to go in the basement and I've been, um, receiving Amazon boxes of all sorts of 
mouse traps and killers and all sorts of gadgets. So yeah, yeah. Just trying to get warm. <laughs> but yes. he, he ran past my feet when I was in the bathroom. I was like, oh, that's where you're hiding. Cool. So we know where he is. He's just not coming out. But anyways, um, well, cool. Before we get into our uh, episode here, um, this is Kathy Lee and Hoda style. So uh, I know you guys are still working hard, but today... Um, I am drinking a Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company uh, Stone Fruit Pale Ale. So let's see how this is. Um, these are my two of my fraternity brothers um, are the brewers and uh, are uh, part of the ownership group that started this uh, brewery down in the crossroads. And gave them a plug last week and uh, continue giving them a plug. Uh, Bullcock, uh, Marshall. Let's see how this is, guys. Very cool. Yeah, I know microbreweries are really taken off. I think actually one of the breweries that's that started up here is actually expanding down to Kansas City. I think the Crossroads area. So you have to keep okay. a lookout for uh, River Bluff Brewery. River Bluff. I'll have to check yeah. that out. Yeah. So, so exciting. Do you guys, do you go by St. Joseph or St. Joe? Do you get offended when people shorten it to St. Joe? No, not at all. It's either okay. St. Joseph or St. Joe. I think what... Um, is more of a pet peeve is when people call it St. Joe's. St. Joe's. St. Joe's. It's like now. Don't, a sloppy don't Joe's. That. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not from St. Joseph. I grew up closer uh, down to Kansas City, a suburb of Kansas City. So, but that's one thing that I feel. And I know the the residents, the, the longtime residents feel is when you call it St. Joe's. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, and I'm drinking this out of my Estes Park Brewery mug or pint. By the way, so very nice. There you go. There you go. I'm, I'm like drinking a, a Colombian blend of beans from Sam's Club, Members Mark brand. Um, I have a nice bean grinder, and their their beans are pretty good. So uh, that's what I'm that's what I'm drinking. I'm still drinking coffee. When it gets this cold, I'm good for a a, a re up in the afternoon. You could fair enough much count on it. So. Fair enough. How about you, Brent? I'm with Donovan. I went coffee this afternoon uh, of the Casey Roastery. There you go. Eddie. So uh, the dark line, if you guys are familiar with their dark line, they've got a full line of dark beans. Okay. This is okay. Full Vengeance. Full Vengeance. So it's a good name for a dark coffee. Yeah. But I have to do de decaf. Decaf. So decaf. 40, you got to do decaf afternoon. So that's where I'm at. Two things there. I Last week on my uh, morning news podcast, I heard they came out with a study about the benefits of drinking caffeinated coffee, and it lowers the risk of heart failure. So while well, decaffeinated like doesn't. So that was, that was my approval to start drinking more and more, have as much as I want, because I drink like anywhere from three to six cups a day. As you right. can probably tell, I'm a little wired right now, but. I'm always uh, a little, I always take those with a grain of salt because I, it's like, you never know, is that, is that causation or is it correlated? Are the people that are drinking decaf, are they more likely to, you know, participate in activities that are going to lead to heart disease and, and the same for, you know, caffeinated coffee. So I'm a little, I'm a little hesitant. I'm all for justification for drinking coffee. Um, I probably need to cut, cut it out, uh, cut some out at this point, but I agree. 
It, it, it doesn't matter because it's telling me what I want to hear. So that's there you go. science. It's Confirmation good. bias. So that, that's how it works, right? Right. We we hear what we want to hear. Um, but did did you say uh, uh, the roastery? You were drinking. You weren't drinking Betty's blend, but I heard you mention Betty. Um, they have a Betty's blend. Do they really? I don't. Yeah, I've had it's Betty's. delicious. I'll have to try that. Yeah, and so. So Betty is, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but it's his mother. And I think the plane on top of the building is actually named Betty. Ah. Because I've always wanted to get the poster and put it on my wall back here that nobody can see except you guys. Um, cause I love planes cause my dad used to be a pilot and I don't know, but anywho, um, awesome. Good beer, good coffee. So before we dive into our topic, kind of a rule around here is we give walk-up songs. So like you're in baseball walking up to the plate and they play your song. Um, I'll give you guys, I know, uh, curveball here, but uh, I'll give you guys a, a minute to think about it and I'll tell you. So my walk-up song, it, it changes per episode daily. And I think at this stage in my life, I'm not... I'm not the superstar that I once was. And so I'm, I'm on the decline, right? And so I'm kind of a showman, um, kind of like a happy Gilmore to get the crowd into it, you know, when he's trying to cheer everybody on when he's driving. So I'm, I'm thinking House of Pain jump around, trying to, you know, get the, get the crowd into it. I'd probably jump around on my way to the plate as well. Um, that's mine today. Donovan, what's yours? I don't do well on the spot, um, especially music. My wife loves that. What's that show? Name that tune. I don't know if you guys have seen oh, yeah. it on television. Yeah. And I just fold under the pressure of time and all the all the variables. So I don't do good with that. But uh, I don't think I can name a song. But I, I think anything, probably Lecrae or Andy Minio, anything in that that realm would be a good walk up song for me. I don't know that you're gonna have to sing it for me right now on the spot. <laughs> I, I any any of the songs I, I can't I can't throw out one specific song. So I I fold under the pressure of uh, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll maybe I'll circle back with if I can find something. But okay, we could do like a playlist. Each at bat, you get a different song. There you go. There you go. So, Brent, what about you? I man, Kyle, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> That's I'm what I do. Horrible. I'm horrible with music. I would greatly fail at that name name that tune show the the only song that came to mind it's a throwback to the 80s forever young remember that song yeah Yeah. and it's only because i i'm not young but i actually feel pretty young today so today and only today that would be my walk-up song it'd be forever young the bob dylan alpha what's that Alphaville. Okay. Okay. Because Bob Dylan has a version of it and I love it. Um, because that played in the show, uh, parenthood with, uh, Craig T Nelson. Yep. It's a good show. Yeah. Coach. There you go. Coach. So that was, that was a good, uh, good show. Good show. Uh, parenthood. So awesome. Um, well, we'll put that in the show notes. So, 
why everybody tuned in today um, was to hear all that. But uh, if they want to skip the fluff, we'll let them um, and we'll put that in the show notes. But uh, <clears throat> so had you guys on today. We're going to talk about this topic, but I guess here's kind of what brought it up is in the past I had a prospect and we were talking about what they were looking for and, you know, an advisor and everything. And I, I remember them saying vividly, I want to find a fee-based advisor. And I didn't try to correct them, but I knew what they were talking about. But in conversation, I weaved it in that, yeah, I'm a fee-only advisor. And, you know, they probably didn't pick up on it. But I feel pretty certain that this is another industry term that we use that's led to confusion. Correct me if I'm wrong. And we can call it a day on this episode. No, I think you're right. I think you're spot on. Right on. Okay. Okay. I think I just avoided disaster. So good. Um, but guys, what the hell is fee only in the theme of baseball? Brent, let's lead it off. Lead off hitter fee only. It comes up a lot, right? Like you mentioned, people, either know of it and they're seeking it out or they've heard of it and they have no idea what it means. So what I try to explain to them is it's a way that I get compensated. Fee only means I only get paid a fee from my clients. I don't get paid fees from products, from brokerage firms, from banks, from insurance companies. I only get paid by the client. And that is the person that I'm responsible to. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Brent. I know there's a lot of different ways advisors can get paid. I think he hit on two of the most important. One, you're getting paid directly by the client. Like that is the relationship. And two, the fees either coming from their investment account or their checking account. Really, those are really the only two ways that a fee-only relationship uh, can exist and clients can pay their advisors. And so uh, you were talking a lot about simplicity earlier, Kyle, and I, I, I love just trying to keep it simple because you can get lost in fee-only, fee-based, you know, all these different variations. But like Brent said, you're getting paid first and foremost from the client directly, directly to them. And it, it's in the form of a fee that they pay either directly from their, their checking account or uh, their investment account. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I think there's one thing we need to clear up before we go any further is um, I've heard people say, well, I don't pay any fees. And I'm like, you think your advisor is just, you know, giving you advice and doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Um, so I guess, how do you guys, how do you guys respond to that? I don't actually say that to people, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> Well, the, the other word that comes to mind when we talk about fee only is transparency, right? The client will know exactly what they're paying and who they're paying. So there's so many other ways, like Donovan mentioned, that advisors can get paid. And clients, unless they look or they ask the right questions, nine out of 10 don't actually know how they're paying their advisor. So it's understandable that some of them are under the notion that they don't really pay their advisor, or maybe they don't pay their advisor commissions. They just don't, they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a, yeah, that's a great point. And I always include in material when I have a prospect kind of going through my process, one of the questions you need to ask your advisors that you're interviewing is exactly what Brent said. How do you get paid? And just, yep. it just needs to be as simple as that. And the advisor has the opportunity to be very transparent about how they get compensated from who they work with. And you will learn a lot from, from that. And if you hear them kind of dancing around, kind of deflecting, not giving a very precise answer, then I, I would be very concerned about how they get paid, you know, being in a relationship with their client. Yeah. I, I think the saying there's no free lunch is a good saying here um, to articulate the point of your advisor is getting paid one way or the other, even if you don't know about it. And it can come in the form of commissions or paying for advice. And, um, and so I don't, I don't know if you guys want to dive into that a little bit about um, maybe the compensation structures um, that are out there. Like I mentioned, the prospect that I, I was talking to said, I want a fee-based advisor. And I'm like, well, I'm a fee-only advisor, but I, I, I understand what you're, you're misinterpreting what you're wanting. Um, right. But I understand it's complicated and, and uh, I don't know, we've made this so complex. I think we need to step back and even clarify fee-based from, from my understanding, fee-based is kind of a mixture of yep. compensation methods. And so the firm that I actually came from, you know, I left and started my own firm, they were categorized as fee-based. So a majority of their fees, I actually didn't see the, the breakdown, but I would have said probably at least three quarters of their revenue came from generating fees from their clients through um, getting paid directly from the investment accounts is probably made up most of that. But the other portion was generated by commissions. Um, from mutual funds and other financial products. And so even that mixture, that makeup kind of gets packaged together and you, you hear fee-based. There is a basis of generation of fees, but there's also can be commission mixed into that. So I hear that a lot. People get confused with fee-only and fee-based. And so I always try to step back and say, well, a firm that's fee-based typically earns some sort of their revenue on you know commissions or other kickbacks. Yep. And Donovan, you said other kickbacks, and I think that's another big one that gets overlooked sometimes is when we talk about fee-based or commission, it doesn't always mean actual dollars, right? Like sometimes people are compensated through trips to Hawaii or free use of special software, or, you know, there's a lot of other ways that people can get compensated in addition to monetary compensation. Yes, that's so true. And that's even harder to, to track and, you know, keep on the forthright of, of presenting the clients. And I think the soft dollar arrangements are what what that is, is coined as. I don't even know, is that the trips too? Are the trips kind of fall under that soft dollar arrangement category? Dude, I don't even know. I The reason I mentioned that is because uh, I had somebody that was reading my ADV the other day ask me about my soft dollar benefits that I get from Betterment. And so when I started my firm, I started it with the intent of, I want to manage assets for clients on TD Ameritrade. But in case somebody comes to me wanting a robo-advisor, I have Betterment set up on the side to utilize if they want that option. And so that's in my ADV. And uh, I've never used Betterment, by the way. 
Um, so I don't know what soft dollar benefits I get from Betterment, but it's in my ADV. And um, it was good for them to ask that because I, I was able to articulate that um, the exact point that I'm making is, you know, I'm a fee-only advisor. I have never used Betterment, but I have it available if clients want to utilize that. Um, I don't take any commissions of any sort or anything like that. So, um, yeah, still trying to figure out the uh, soft dollar benefit I'm getting from Betterment. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there. I'm on Betterment. I've used Betterment. I'm in the process of uh, leaving Betterment, but not to my knowledge has there been any soft dollar arrangements offered to um, advisors that that utilize their platform. If anything, you can be confident that Better, Betterment is first and foremost a retail platform, and the advisor platform is kind of second thought. And I, I think neglected, but that's, oh, really? that's, okay. that's, that's a, a tale for another time. So, I mean, I'm assuming it's just the benefit of being on their platform and having the technology of the rebalancing and, and, and all that. I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I do all my stuff on TD Ameritrade, but, um, kind of to your guys's point though, uh, the compensation structures kind of goes into three different categories here where you have a spectrum, if you will, of commissions on one end, in the middle is fee-based, and then on the uh, other end, you have fee-only. So the three of us are all fee-only advisors, so we're all biased, of course. Um, but uh, kind of breaking that down, Donovan, you want to take on the whole commission side of the the fee arrangement structure. I think that's where a lot of these individuals that say, well, I don't pay my advisor or anything, I think that's where a lot of them are are in is the co commission based model. And so they don't see the fee coming out. They're not paying the fee. And so um, there's less friction there, but they're, th they are actually paying a fee. Yeah, absolutely. It, it all depends on kind of what type of uh, commission structure there is, what kind of loads, you know, there are uh, typically whenever you get a product like a mutual fund that has a, a front load, you know, an A share mutual fund that charges five and three quarters percent up front um, you typically don't hear much from your advisor after they collect their commission they're kind of on to collect the next commission and um, it, it's there's nothing i have to be careful i think we have to be careful about posturing and signaling about the different aspects of how we get compensated there's definitely really good advisors that are commission based or even fee based there are bad advisors that are fee only like i don't think moral hazard stops at a certain part of where we get compensated. So I, I just want to make that clear because I know this is a hotly debated topic depending on where you go. But I think what we talked about a little earlier is how we've chosen to structure our business eliminates some of the inherent conflicts of interest. Not that it you know excludes all of them. There's always going to be conflict of interest between a provider and a customer, right? We want to do business. There's always going to be it. But we as CFPs, you know, have chosen to eliminate conflicts of interest where we can. And where we can't, we need to disclose it and be very transparent about it and, and just keep it on the forthright and call a spade a spade. And it's fine. That's fine. If <laughs> there's a conflict of interest, as long as we talk about it, the, the, the client, the potential client knows about it, it's out in the open. Where you get in trouble is when you start to hide those conflicts of interest and you start to profit off of uh, those conflicts of interest. So going back to the commission base, like you said, a lot of clients don't know that they're paying these exorbitant fees uh, because they're not talked about. They're kind of shoved under the carpet. They're deflected. And all of a sudden, these clients think they're getting free service. They're actually paying, you know, large commissions, you know, 
for for that transaction. And Donovan, just one quick thing to add to that. I mean, you you mentioned we're all fee only and we're a little biased, and it's we feel like it's good for the client, right? To have a fee only model, it's it's client friendly. It's also advisor friendly, and I say that because in in a previous career, I was I would have been categorized as fee based, and even with good intentions of trying to look out for a client's best interest, there's these underlying internal conflicts that that advisor is going to have to struggle with. You know, I have product A and product B to put before this client. They're both suitable. There's not one that's bad, but one's going to make me twice as much as the other. So how do I wrestle with that decision of which product to put before the client? And so it it's hard on the advisor in many times to, to wrestle with those decisions, just like it is the client to deal with that type of compensation model. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I want to circle back to this because this is something I want to talk about. But kind of diving into those three different um, fee structures. So commission-based is where they're selling a product, right? A financial product, be it a mutual fund. Um, right now, I've been looking at someone that got sold an annuity in a Roth IRA, and it pisses me off. Um, sorry, guys. Life insurance. Permanent life insurance is another one that we see a lot as advisors, people that get sold life insurance with some sort of savings or investing component attached to it. Yeah. And it just boggles my mind. I want to file a class action lawsuit for these people like this. Just, uh, I don't know how you can call it suitable, but so there's the commission structure. Sorry if I'm, I'm irritated. Um, I've been looking at some statements and it's been making me mad. So I'm going to have another beer. Okay. Um, I know you guys are drinking coffee, so I'm going to drink for you. Um, but the, uh, commission model. And so I, I think kind of the general, when you're looking at like mutual funds, you go to an advisor, they're a broker and they sell you some mutual funds. Um, American funds. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm going to, but seem to be a popular thing that advisors sell. Um, at their at various places. Um, but the, the typical commission that I see is, you know, anywhere from five to, uh, five and three quarters of a percent. Right. And so the idea being you, let's say it's a 5% commission and you go and invest a hundred thousand dollars, your investment, if it's a front loaded, so a share, your investment of $100,000 just became $95,000 up front because of the 5% commission. Um, doesn't seem like a very good deal to me. But anywho, if it's a back-end commission, so B share, C shares? C share, 1%. One, one yeah. um, so those are essentially a deferred sales charge. And so if you ever sell the investment... Um, they take the 5%. The idea being that we've deferred it. Your investment has grown larger. So our com commission grows larger. Um, that 5%, you know, say it, it grows uh, to $200,000, just use round numbers. 
Um, and that five, five 5% commission now becomes not $5,000, but $10,000. Uh, I'll throw in the caveat that if you hold it for a long enough period of time, it becomes, um, or a share, it becomes a shares, a shares. I don't deal with this stuff. So that's why I'm not like super. Um, so it becomes basically a shares. So there, the deferred sales charge goes away if you hold it long enough. This is just an example typical in the industry, but um, so that's kind of how the commission structure works. As far as fee-based, I guess, I guess it'd be easier to flip over to fee-only, go from one, one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. So fee-only is I sell you that, I get you that mutual fund, but I don't take a commission on it. There's no cost. So your $100,000 investment is a $100,000 where it, and then I'm going to charge you a fee, um, for helping you get that invested and giving you advice. And so that's that's what we do. And the fee only comes in various forms. And so I figured we could dive into that. Um, but then in the middle, you have the fee-based, which is a combination of, as you guys mentioned, the commission. There's a blend of the commission in there, as well as the fee-only aspect where you you pay your advisor a fee to you know manage your accounts, um, and that's typically in the form of AUM or assets under management and kind of the industry standard that we've standard, um, you know, only starting to, and I'm slurring my words here. So sorry. Um, but the industry standard is typically 1% is kind of what we say of assets under management. And so if you charge 1% on hundred thousand dollars, you're talking about a thousand dollars a year to manage your hundred thousand dollar account. Um, and then, you know, with fee-based, you pair that with commissions potentially. So I came from the fee-based world. Um, they didn't really utilize the commission structure. Uh, it was just, they wanted to be, you know, have a broker dealer that they could utilize. And I don't know, it was an interesting deal, but, uh, but yeah, so we used it a lot for just smaller accounts that, yeah. that would come, um, relationships from kind of top clients, a clients, they had kids or grandkids that wanted to invest and there wasn't, you know, enough there to justify opening a brokerage account. So that that's kind of where we saw a lot of the mutual fund accounts and business come from. Yeah. Um, second one here is also a Rochester. It's a berry cream sickle sour. Very delicious, by the way. Uh, I had their orange cream sickle sour on the previous episode. It was good too, but I like this berry. Um, so yeah, we, we have our three structures here, the commission, commission-based fee structure, the fee-based fee structure, um, which I think kind of what we've alluded to, there can be some kind of gray areas in there. Um, when you're talking about dual registration and your advisor being a broker and an IAR investment advisor representative, um, and then we have the fee only. And so again, I mentioned we, the three of us are fee only advisors, but that comes in various forms. Um, and there's a slew of different forms uh, that I'm aware of, and I'm probably sure there's more out there. So um, I, do, I do a retainer model, kind of the XYPN, Retainer model, I, I define it as kind of a Netflix subscription for your finances. 
um, monthly retainer model, uh, annual agreement paid monthly. Um, and then I pair that with assets under management. That is fee only. And so I guess if you guys want to talk about the different forms of fee only and maybe how your fees are structured for fee only, um, how that works to give people an idea. Yeah, Kyle, mine's very similar to what you mentioned. So I, I tell people I have two primary services that I offer. I do ongoing financial planning. And like you said, an annual fee that people can pay monthly. And it's based on the complexity of the client situation, not on how much money they have. So, uh, and then separate from that, I do investment management, which charges a percentage of the money that they want me to manage on their behalf. So I operate them both as fee only, but as two very separate services. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of a newer model, I guess, if you will. And it allows us to work with individuals that maybe don't meet your typical um, investment minimum that a lot of these independent objective advisors have. Um, because again, there's no free lunch. And so a lot of the times you'll run into these advisors that have, you know, a minimum of $250,000 of investable assets to be able to work with them. Um, they're independent, they're fee only, but you have to have this amount to be able to work with them because they have to make a living. And so if you're charging 1% on $250,000, that's $2,500 annually. Um, and so that's kind of give you an idea of what that looks like. And so kind of insert for younger people that don't have the assets built up already, it allows me to work with them still without having the assets that, that monthly subscription, if you will, or the, uh, monthly retainer allows me to be able to continue to work with them, even if they don't have the asset minimum. So Donovan, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So I use kind of three different models. You guys kind of spoke about two, kind of the, the, the subscription I think would be coined from a regulation standpoint as a flat fee. You charge a flat fee and yep. a flat annual fee paid monthly. Uh, the AUM, the assets under management where you assess a percentage against someone's investable assets and you get compensated directly from their account. And then hourly is the other version that I see and, and I use for um, more so clients that need a touch here or there, ex clients that used to be more of an ongoing that I we still keep in close enough contact to where they can always come back and get um, very specific kind of isolated advice. So those are the three that, that I use. Those are, I would say the most prominent in the fee yeah. only realm that we see. And, um, one other thing that I would say too, as, as we just talked about transparency and, you know, fees and, and compensation is, is the AUM model has been around for the longest. It kind of has stemmed from commission-based business as advisors transitioned from transaction to having an ongoing relationship and providing ongoing advice. That's kind of how they were able to get compensated on an ongoing basis um, it does get quoted as a percentage. Um, I think I think us as advisors need to kind of go a step farther and kind of translate that into dollars because 1% doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, it doesn't translate. It, we're kind of desensitized by the percentage. But when you actually convert that to dollars so they know exactly what they're paying, you know, it, you know, 
again, I think just operating with utmost integrity and, and full transparency. So, but anyway, to bring that back around, those are the three primary ways that I see in our industry advisors getting compensated in the fee only space. Yeah. And I, I know there's um, some other advisors. I know Landis, Tyler, he's been on the episode. He's my, uh, uh, my champion repeat offender. He's been on three times now, but he does a percentage of net worth and a percentage of income um, is. And so I, I, there, there's like, you know, a thousand different ways to slice it. Um, and I think we all kind of talk about this all the time. How do we do our fees? And um, you know, the commission, the commission structure, the AUM structure, those are just easy. And I think context kind of to your point, I think context matters because, um, you know, as things have evolved, we've moved this way, you know, commission, the commission structure was kind of what was out there originally. Then, um, I don't remember when this really kind of maybe the eighties became a thing, but the AUM structure where it's just a percentage of assets and it was easy. Um, but then recently there's been kind of this surge of the, you know, various forms of, of, uh, you know, our retainer model, um, or hourly, um, and then kind of this net worth and percentage of income, these sorts of things. And so just getting more, it, it makes it more complicated, but it, it allows us to be able to work with clients that we wouldn't normally be able to work with in the other fee structures, I guess is, is what I'm saying. So, right. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it comes back to when it comes to fees, like as the advisor, you need to be charging what you're worth as the consumer you pay that fee as long as you're getting value. You're getting something above that cost. So Warren Buffett coined with saying price is what you get, or price is what you pay, value is what you get. So as long as you're providing extreme value as an advisor, you should be pretty confident in what you're charging and what you're worth. But also what's nice about the fee only structure is that clients can walk whenever, you know, yep. if they're not getting the value for what they're paying, you know, they can walk. And I like, I like that that's the kind of relationship that we have with our clients that um, we haven't sold them a bill of goods or we haven't sold them anything to where we've gotten compensated and kind of they're just left to do whatever. Like there is an incentive to to serve our clients well um, because repeat business is is good for us. It's, it's a lot easier. It's a lot cheaper uh, for us to retain clients than to go out and get a new client. Um, yeah. So that not that's not to like put clients in this predicament or like we just see them as a number you know on our ship we do truly care about our clients like it just happens you know we develop deep relationships with them but that's just the reality of how we structured our business there is an incentive to just serve our clients really well because we do want to walk with them through life and for a long period um, and so that that's one thing i would add about that yeah i i often find my times fretting about my clients' issues more than they probably do. Um, and it's because I want to see them do well and succeed. And if I was in the commission model, I could care less because, you know, as long as I get my commission and sell them something, who cares, right? Hey, Kyle, quick addition to that. You know, I was thinking about we're all very passionate about fee only. And we talked about a lot of different flavors of how that fee only can look and how people charge. It's not because advisors that are doing fee only are looking to always pad their pocketbooks. A lot of times the reason they've chosen a particular model of fee only 
is because they're trying to serve a particular clientele. And that model allows them to serve those people. So, you know, it, in my model, if I'm trying to serve a young family that has student debt, a mortgage, if I charged a net worth percentage or a percentage of their investable assets only, I would not be able to help that family. So yeah. I think that's another important ingredient is there's a lot of these different models, but there's there's a good basis for why the advisor chose that model is because they're trying to find a way to give advice to the people that they have a heart to serve. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's, for me, I want to provide people with an alternative if they don't have the investable at, you know, if you have the investable assets, um, a couple million dollars, I'll take you on as client. Let's talk. But if you don't, I still want to be able to serve you. Right. And so historically, typically in the past, it was, if you don't meet our asset minimum, you have to go to the retail shop and you get sold commission products. And there's not an alternative for you. We are that alternative. I, I'm, you know, not to speak for you guys, I'm that alternative. Um, you can be that alternative too, if you want to be. So, so this kind of gets us into conflicts of interest with the fee structures that we were, you know, alluded to earlier. So there's commission, just, just using three as an example of, of how there's conflicts of interest, but the commission model, the AUM model, the assets under management model, Remember, we said generally 1% is what you're looking at. And then the retainer fee model. Um, and, and so kind of what I see with, and I think a lot of people would agree that don't do the commission model is there's incentive to sell you financial products that are more beneficial to your advisor than to your interest. And so, for example, kind of what you talked about earlier, Brent, is you have mutual fund A that has a commission of 5%. Mutual fund B is the same investment, you know, has the same objectives, goals, and um, but it has a commission of 2%. And so if I'm on commission, which one do you think I'm going to recommend to you? And so I, I think you can see that there's an inherent conflict of interest there. Um, so if we're looking at, you know, a $100,000 investment and my commission is 5%, or 2%, do you think I'm going to take $5,000 or $2,000? Um, you know, my wife wants a new car. I'm going to take the $5,000, right? <laughs> so, but then getting into the AUM, you're like, well, how's there a conflict of interest there? Well, there's incentive to keep assets in your portfolio, you know? Um, so, you know, you're, you're thinking about paying off the mortgage with funds in the portfolio and your advisor could advise you to keep your money invested because interest rates right now are so low. I th I've heard people getting, you know, two and a half percent on their mortgage, um, which is just insane. Um, but they could say, you know, it makes more sense for you to pay this ultra low mortgage interest and keep your funds invested because we're going to earn you more than two and a half percent. Not to say that uh, they're not baking in the risk of what if you lose your job and you still have your mortgage payment, um, but th there's a there, there's a conflict of interest there. Um, so uh, I think it was Anthony Ruffalo, 
uh, CFP on LinkedIn had a thing about that um, just the other day that I commented on. So, but then you then you have the retainer fee. Um, you know what we mentioned we charge, and you know the the biggest conflict of interest I see with that is we have to get off our butt and do something. Um, we're getting paid monthly, and so are you providing the value to the clients? You know, the beautiful thing about that for clients is if you're not, they can fire you. It's a lot easier to say, we're done. Then if you have your investments with an advisor and you have to transfer your accounts, it's it's a that relationship is stickier. Um, there's more friction involved with moving your accounts. So that's, uh, I don't know, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and I think... With conflicts of interest, you bring up a good point, Kyle. Just, you know, they're, they're embedded everywhere, and it's impossible to have a relationship with zero conflicts of interest. So the goal is not to get it to zero, but it's to minimize. And that's what that fee-only model hopes to do, is to minimize those conflicts of interest because the result to the client should be objectivity, you know, and what's coming out of the mouth of the advisor when he or she gives a recommendation, it's in the client's best interest. Even if there are little conflicts of interest, what the advisor is bringing up is truly for the better of the client. So it's, it's to minimize those. It's not to totally eradicate them because that's it's really impossible in this financial services world to have a conflict free engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And that you know, I'm not I'm not saying any one of these is bad, although I'm not a big fan of the commission model, if you can tell. Uh call me bias, but every fee structure has some degree of conflict of interest. It's it's just minimizing the amount of conflicts. And so, you know, there, there's no such thing as no conflict of interest. I, you know, those advisors that I see out there that, you know, on their websites say no conflict of interest. I'm like, all right, that's not totally true. Um, you're not getting fact checked, but you know, that, but when you embed that, that you say, well, we have a little bit of conflict of interest, people's antennas go up and it's like, what? It's like, no, we're just being transparent. Like there's, we have conflicts, but they're minimized compared to the other things that are out there. Um, so. And I think kind of key is to, to be proactive, to bring up those conflicts of interest. It's not something to brush under the rug and to hide. It's to bring it up to the surface. So the client knows before they make a decision or they, accept our advice, they know the backstory of, of what's going into it. The problem is when there's conflicts and they're not disclosed and the client makes a decision based on that advice and they find out after the fact that it potentially was a little bit skewed, that's what gets my feathers ruffled is when, when I come across those type of situations. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up, um, if you have any any final words, but I I think kind of the what 
I would say is, do you want to pay for products that you can get for free? Or do you want to pay for the advice? It's kind of my thoughts. Yeah, no, and I, I like that. Because if if somebody is truly wanting to just pay for good, objective, hopefully it's good <laughs> advice, but pay for objective advice, fee only is the model that supports that. Any other model, again, not to say one is right and one's wrong, but you have to understand if you're not going with the fee only model, there's other issues you need to be aware of before you make any decisions. And for some people, that's okay. Like when I go and buy a car, I fully expect that I'm going to pay a commission to somebody. <laughs> I, I get it. Unless now, you know, maybe there's models where that's not true, but um, I understand it. I accept it. And I know the risks there. And the same should be true in the financial planning space. People should know how they're paying, what the risks are, and then make a decision based on what they're trying to do. And I, I think people are probably wondering, okay, so you've talked about fee only. Where do you find somebody that's fee only? And on previous episodes, we've talked about, you know, being a certified financial planner, a CFP. Um, and so, you know, you can get a CFP that's not fee only, and then you can get a fee only advisor that's not a CFP. And so kind of, you know, the groups we're a part of, you know, not to toot our own horns or uh, our uh, shameless plug here, but to kind of marry those two, to kind of marry those two things of a certified financial planner that's fee only, XY Planning Network and NAPFA, the National Association for Personal Financial Advisors. I have to say that slow because that's a mouthful. Um, but most people don't know what NAPFA is, so I've got to spell it out, right? Um, which is understandable because not everyone lives in our world. It's not our world and everybody's living in it. Um, but those two organizations kind of marry those two things, certified financial planners that are fee only. And so if you're looking for an advisor um, that has the experience um, to call themselves a certified financial planner, that is fee only. That's going to have your best interest in mind. Um, those are two great places to go find advisors is XY Planning Network and then NAPFA. Um, and we'll put those in the show notes. I don't know what any anything else you want to add there? Uh, no, I think that's well said, Kyle. And that it is important to marry those two worlds. So you get the expertise with the right compensation model because both are important. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and if this all sounds a little confusing, I get it. So feel free to, uh, drop me a line, drop us a line, include in the show notes, how you can get a hold of us, um, and, uh, ask questions about what we discussed today and we'll do our best to answer them. Um, Brent, where can everyone find you? So, Website is Focal Point Financial Group. That's a mouthful. <laughs> com. And I'm in Prairie Village. So I've got an office here in the village. So yeah, people can find me there. Find me on LinkedIn. Drop by. Awesome. Um, 
Are you close to the cafe? Is it the cafe or the cafeteria restaurant? Is that still walking distance? Yes. My wife loves that place. She introduced me to it. It's pretty good. So, um, well, awesome. Well, we'll put, uh, that in the show notes where everyone can find you. And, uh, I guess, um, until next time signing off. You did it. The world's greatest cup of coffee. Just kidding. You made it through way to go. Thanks for listening to personal finance from the hilltop. Hope you've enjoyed the show today. You can find information about our guests and ways to connect with them in the show notes. That's me pointing down. We're going to be taking a little break from our What the Hell Is series. In our next episode, I'm going to be talking with rock star realtor Tony Long of Long Real Estate Team on what you need to know about buying a house in this extremely hot and some would say insane housing market. Now, if you'd like more information about me or Hilltop Financial Planning, you can visit hilltopfp.com. For links and resources mentioned in the podcast, be sure to check out the show notes. Again, me pointing down. Also, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you get all the new episodes when they drop. If you could do me a favor and leave the podcast a review, that would be greatly appreciated. Remember, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. You can find personal finance from the Hilltop pretty much wherever podcasts are found. At Hilltop, we continue to bring on new clients. So if you or someone you know are interested in discussing how we can help you find financial freedom, go to our website and click on schedule a call in the upper right-hand corner. We offer a free 30-minute introductory call, no sales pitch, just a conversation about you and what you're looking for and how I can help. Lastly, the dreadful, scary disclaimer that I was advised by my compliance to read And that is, got to do some stretches here. Everything in this podcast is my opinion or my guest's opinion and is not meant to be taken as investment advice because I'm not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as a fiduciary. This podcast is for educational purposes only. Hilltop Financial Planning LLC is a state registered investment advisor in the state of Missouri, but serves clients nationwide. We're exempt from registration. Got through it. Another episode of Personal Finance from the Hilltop in the books. Signing off from the Hilltop, I'm Kyle Hill.